Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the 93rd episode of Cotton Growers Magazine's Cotton Companion Podcast. And go back a little bit in history and take a page from our colleague and former host, Beck Barnes, from Cordell, Texas to Cordell, Georgia. Growers are now rolling as the 2021 season picks up steam. I'm Jim Stedman, Senior Editor of Cotton Grower, and as always, I'm joined by Cotton Grower Editor Frank Giles. Frank, you just spent some time up in your old stomping grounds in South Georgia. What's uh, what's going on up there right now? Oh, things are starting to roll. I was up there to uh, visit with my mom, who lives in Dooley County, Georgia, and my brothers and their families. So we had a great family visit. Uh, driving up, I did see evidence of field work. I didn't see a lot of tractors in the field because of a good bit of rain went through there this weekend. But uh, you could see where some activity was getting rolling and uh I imagine once this dries out, they'll be hitting it hard. Absolutely. Well, today we're on, uh, on, on this episode of the podcast, we're going to take a slightly different tack and spend some time on one of the seven segments of the cotton industry that generally gets very little focus at the grower level, but certainly plays a huge role in cotton pricing and, and movement. Buddy Allen, who is president and CEO of the American Cotton Shippers Association, is going to join us here in the Virtual Cotton Companion Studio shortly to discuss movement of U.S. cotton around the world, as well as some of the current obstacles plaguing that market right now. It's going to be an interesting discussion. We hope you'll stay with us for that segment that'll be coming up here in just a few minutes. But first, let's take a quick look at some of the recent news from across the cotton belt. All right, we'll leave it to USDA to get the last word on projected cotton acres for 2021. Its prospective planning report based on grower surveys released on March 31st says that U.S. cotton growers intend to plant 12 million acres down less than 1% from 2020. Upland cotton acres are expected to total 11.9 million acres, up slightly from 2020 planted acres. Pima area is estimated at only 142,000 acres, down 30% from last year. In all, estimated cotton acres held steady or increased slightly in eight states. The other nine cotton producing states will plant fewer acres in 2021. Regionally, USDA estimates total southeast cotton area at 2.43 million acres and 1.79 million acres across the Mid-South states. Southwest area is expected at 7.52 million acres with 296,000 total acres projected in the Western states. We've got some congratulations in order for retirement. Steve Verrett, Chief Executive Officer of the Plains Cotton Grower, Growers, announced his retirement effective June 30th after 24 years of ser- service to the PCG and High Plains. He has served as CEO since 1997 and is only the third person to hold the position since the organization formed in 1956. Barrett accepted the role as uh, CEO, CEO, as I said, in 1997, having previously served as a producer board member from Crosby County and the PCG board president in 1988 and 1989 and chairman in 1990 and 91. He also served as chairman of the PCG Bow Weevil Steering Committee in 1992 and 93. Tenure Verrett guided organization through significant period of change and renewal that allowed the PCG to successfully work on behalf of cotton producers and the high plains cotton industry to carry out the mission of the organization. 
He has worked on many legislative and regulatory efforts, including poor farm bills, crop insurance reform, and numerous ad hoc assistance program, including playing a critical role in getting cotton back into the Title I of the 2014 Farm Bill. His list of professional and community activities is long and impressive. In 2017, Barrett was named one of the top 100 leaders in agricultural and rural communities nationwide by Farm Credit. And in 2006, he was named the recipient of the Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award for his service to the U.S. cotton industry. And I had the privilege of writing that story and working with Steve on that. So that was a, a good, good way to get to know him. Cody Besant, PCG Vice President of Operations and Legislative, Legislative Affairs, was named to succeed Barrett effective July 1st. On the more news following its decision earlier this year to not renew for its Fexopan dicamba herbicide, Corteva AgriSciences has decided to get out of the dicamba business completely. The, com the company has opted to end the EPA registration process underway for a new product containing dicamba chlorine salt, which would be different from any past or currently marketed dicamba herbicide. This was a business decision by Corteva and looks like the end of the product's development short, short of another company buying the technology. On to the US Cotton Trust Protocol. It has joined the Sustainable Apparel Coalition, a global industry-wide nonprofit of over 250 members working to reduce environmental impacts and improve, promote social justice throughout the cotton value change. With this membership, the Trust Protocol joins a host of leading apparel, footwear, and textile brand retailers, manufacturers, sourcing agents, trade associations, academics, and more in a shared version of an industry that gives more than it takes. As a member, the Trust Protocol will provide U.S. cotton industries unique perspective while working with other members to measure sustainability progress, collaborate on research, and identify and mitigate industry challenges. And now we want to shift gears and move to our discussion on global cotton movement. I'd like to welcome Buddy Allen, who's president and CEO of the American Cotton Shippers Association, to our virtual studio. Buddy, thanks for taking time to join us today. Welcome to the Cotton Companion. Thank you, Jim. Pleasure to be here. All right. Now, for our listeners who may not be aware of the American Cotton Shippers Association and, and the activities that AXA uh, does, certainly on behalf of the U.S. cotton industry, can you give us a quick background on the association, uh, its membership, and, and its role in the industry? Sure. Uh, so we're a trade association based in Memphis. Uh, we were founded in 1924, so we're coming up on our almost our 100-year anniversary Looking forward to that. We're one of the older trade groups uh, still around. We're primarily made up of uh, private merchandisers of cotton. Uh, our members collectively buy raw fiber from, from producers and sell it to spinners, both domestically and around the world. We purchase and merchandise approximately 70% of the U.S. production, and our members handle about 65% of all the cotton traded in the world. So outside of straight uh, cotton merchants. We've got brokers and mill service agents and supply chain participants that are uh, members of our organization. And we primarily offer the services of merchandising, risk management, and logistics. Okay. 
That's great. Um, let's jump into this. Uh, export numbers for U.S. cotton have, have kind of remained relatively steady over the past year uh, in spite of the pandemic, but uh, I would say in part thanks to, uh, to China as part of the, the, uh, the phase one agreement and their efforts to kind of rebuild some of their available stocks for their mills. Uh, it's, it's actually been pretty bullish in nature. How are your members feeling about this current bullish cotton market and, and what other countries are stepping up as good customers for U.S. cotton? Well, you described it pretty well, Jim, and it has become a much stronger market and China has been a big factor. Um, in 2020, we shipped almost five and a half million bales of cotton to China where the three prior years, we had been under half that each year. So we saw a big shift. It was a politically motivated buy with the phase one trade agreement, uh, which was right on time after a, a very market disrupting trade war with China that was, we saw cotton prices sell off almost 45 or 46% uh, during, during that time frame. So we're, we're glad to see our market share return into China uh, looking at their consumption kind of long term over the last 10 years, we, we saw them eroding uh, big reserves and, and now shifting into a, a, a certain deficit where they're expected to produce about uh, 26 or 27 million bales and consume closer to 40. I think we're calling it 38 right now. They've got, a, they've got an 11 or 12, 12 million bale deficit and they'll, they'll require significant imports, their, their current reserve. Um, Quantity and activity appears to be more of a recirculation uh, than an accrual or a liquidation. So yeah, there's there's the need for import into China. We're seeing uh, big big consumption of U.S. cotton by Vietnam. Uh, Pakistan continues to grow in their consumption with uh, a flat to downtrend in production. So that that market will continue to expand for net exporters, uh, as as you probably know. Uh, Brazil is our most formidable competitor for, for exporting cotton. If you want to get to contamination-free, high-quality exportable supply, you can really count it with the U.S., Brazil, and Australia. And with the, uh, the drought situation in Australia, we're really focused on, on Brazil and the United States to compete for that market share. And we've watched Brazil's uh, exports just skyrocket over the last five years from about 2 million up to, up to 10 million bales of cotton. So uh, they're, they're investing in infrastructure and they're growing their capacity for exports and they're holding us accountable. We've, we've got to be, be diligent to be competitive and uh, deliver our customers' product as efficiently as possible to add value to it. That's great. Well, obviously, delivery is one of the, uh, one of the issues we wanted to, to chat about a little bit today. We've seen over the past year and, and kind of continuing these, these delays in shipping, particularly with, with problems out of the California ports. Uh, stories about export products backed up and, and sitting there. We've talked about container shortages and sometimes containers being loaded and shipped back empty. What are the details on this story? Uh, how frustrating is it? Uh, and what's being done to try to correct the situation? Well, you're exactly right. And it's, it's, uh, it's everything you said. It's, it's, a, it's a real problem. And it, it starts with inbound cargo uh, right now, containerized imports to the United States are, are running at a level that's about 50% higher of the 10-year trend line. So we just got all of this volume. You know, COVID has changed the way we behave 
and the way our culture spends its money. We, we, are, we have been quarantined and purchasing things rather than experiences. And its, it's der derivative effect is this tremendous volume of manufactured goods being containerized and shipped in from Asia. So our intermodal interior infrastructure just cannot handle it. We're overwhelmed. Um, we're, we're overwhelmed when it comes to rail capacity, uh, port, port capacity, container availability, chassis, uh, truck drivers, every, every link in the supply chain is being stretched. And the, the congestion, uh, it just moves around and increases. Uh, as we speak, uh, about 90% of all vessels sailing are, are delayed, which, which causes uh, rescheduling and logistical challenges throughout the supply chain. I told you uh, the, the volume of inbound freight already. And, and as you mentioned, we're seeing about two containers sail back empty compared to every container loaded with agricultural exports. That, that gives us real concern. And, and, and let me be fair, uh, ag exports are heavy compared to manufactured imports. When they load the vessel with bulk ag commodities, they cannot fill every container. Traditionally, we'd see about half of those boxes returning empty, but now we're seeing two thirds of them. And with the increased value of, of import shipping and how lucrative that proposition is, uh, these, these, this equipment's being repurposed and it's, uh, it's, adding, it's adding time, it's adding uncertainty, it's adding cost to the supply chain. And ultimately that compromises our competitiveness um, compared to Brazil or, or, or other global competitors. And as I told you before, I know I'm talking to a group of cotton producers and I am one. All of these challenges just simply add cost and, and, and simply take value away from our commodity. So it's our job to manage those logistical costs just like uh, other risks we handle. Let me, let me follow up on that for real quick because there's, I think Congress is now looking into uh, doing some investigation or have some committees looking at, at the issue. What, uh, what do they think they can do to kind of, kind of settle this out a little bit in, in the short run? Long term, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take obviously a while to make it get it all kind of back to a point where we can things move smoothly. But short term, is there anything they can do? Well, good, good question. And we're working closely. Uh, our government affairs team is working closely with uh, legislators, appropriators, <laughs> and and regulators, <laughs> and we need everybody, all hands on deck. But but uh, directly, the Surface Transportation Board has oversight for these interior intermodal moves, and then the maritime piece is covered by the Federal Maritime Commission, that both fall under the purview of the Senate Commerce Committee and the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. So we're working with those regulatory groups. We're working with those um, congressional. Uh, oversight committees. Uh, we're working with the administration to try to identify where do we need long-term investment in infrastructure and where can we use our equipment more efficiently today. And, and I, would, I would highlight chassis because in Memphis, uh, where we're based, uh, and Memphis has got five class one rails, it is an intermodal hub. It's where a very large amount of the Arclamis Delta cotton is concentrated and then sent to domestic mills or exterior uh, shipping ports for export. 
Uh, we, we have we have a team called the Memphis Supply Chain Innovation Team who, who's under the uh, direction of the Federal Maritime Commission where all supply chain participants come together and try to try to solve problems. And we've identified the way we provision chassis is the weakest link. So ultimately, we would like to see there be more choice, more interoperability, more efficient utility of the existing equipment and infrastructure so we can um, move as much cotton or other cargo as possible, given the constraint and the pressure we're in. So some of these things are going to change slowly, but Jim, to your point, there are some cultural practices we can improve immediately. Very good. Buddy, uh, late last year, the Commodities Futures Trading Commission announced the finalization of rulemaking on posi position limits for derivatives. I know AXA was vocal about its support for this. Uh, what's the background leading to this rulemaking and what's the importance of this to the cotton industry and growers? Well, it, it's incredibly important and thank you for asking. That is a, t a topic that we're passionate about at, at, at AXA. Uh, by nature, we are commercial hedgers. We, we purchase the raw cotton from growers, uh, your audience, uh, and then we, we hedge that using uh, futures on the Intercontinental Exchange. Uh, that, that allows us to assume the price risk from growers and provide them immediate liquidity, payment in full for their, for their production. And uh, it's really important that we are able to properly hedge those transactions in manners that are consistent with the way we do business in the cotton world. And uh, <clears throat> we, we do a lot of unfixed price transactions. Some, some of us call it on-call sales. We need to be able to efficiently hedge those we need to be able to anticipate our merchandising to, to take risk management positions um, th that are consistent with our, with our known uh, procurement and sales of physical cotton. So ultimately we need flexibility to, to hedge, our, hedge our risk, um, commensurate with the way we, we do business in, in cotton. And this, this rulemaking vastly improved upon that. We were able to solidify some some knowns in this final rule that will align the uh, the bona fide hedge guidelines with the way we do business in cotton. So we're we're just really pleased with the outcome there. It will allow us to manage price risk for farmers more efficiently. And when we can do that, it costs less. It will improve their basis bid. So so net net, it adds value to U.S. production, and it's. It's, it's a big win for the whole industry, not just the risk managers, but, but all of us who are collective risk takers and, and uh, subject to the fluctuations in market price. I wanna flag a couple of people that were instrumental in helping us, particularly uh, Chairman Heath Tarbert. Uh, during the past administration, Chairman Tarbert came in and only served in that capacity for almost two years. We've been working on position limits for derivatives for over 10 years and unable to get it to the finish line. Heath came in and made it a top priority and he got the job done. It's, it's really, uh, he's to be praised for his leadership. Also, Commissioner Don Stump is um, probably, uh, I, I might accuse her of being biased towards the cotton industry. She's from Lubbock. She, she understands cotton as well as anybody in the risk management business in, in Washington. And we're so... <clears throat> thankful and grateful to have her serving in that role. She's been tremendous. But when you look at the big contracts that are being managed by CFTC, when you look at crude oil and that gas and, and, and all, all the big contracts, cotton is minutia. 
but we we got we got an unnatural access and consideration to meet our industry's needs in this rulemaking process. So all the staff, all the commissioners, all the people from the industry that work together, I'm really proud of the result we got. And as I said before, it will add value to the cotton production proposition in the United States. That's great. It sounds like a great uh, a great deal. Net. I had no idea it was it had taken that long to get uh, to get that that whole situation squared away. So yeah, congratulations to you and to the the whole organization for for making that help working to make that happen. Um, I guess with that, buddy, we're going to uh, we're going to call time on on this discussion. Thank you. We appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, and we hope that we can get together again sometime soon to uh, to talk about things. Maybe once we get a crop in, you know, later this fall, we see what uh, what the scope of the crop is and, and how things are moving at that point. Sounds good. Well, thanks for having me and, uh, and call back anytime. I look forward to uh, continuing the dialogue. Sure will. Thanks, buddy. And that's it for this episode of the Cotton Companion podcast. As always, thank you, dear listeners, for joining us. If you like what you hear on the Cotton Companion, please be sure to spread the word and tell your farmer friends about this podcast. And here's how they can find us. You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion, or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, Sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. Cotton Companion Podcast is produced twice monthly by Tyler Hatch and Kim Henderson, our talented colleagues back at the world headquarters for Meister Media Worldwide in lovely springtime, Willoughby, Ohio. My name's Jim Stedman. His name's Frank Giles. And we'll be back with you in two weeks with the next episode of The Cotton Companion. Until then, stay safe. God made fun.